Welcome back, everyone. It's been a while, and I'm so thankful to have you here, and I'm so thankful to be able to share another episode with you all. Episode 15 is with Dr. Robin Jennings. She's a family medicine physician who serves with the Mission Doctors Association. It's a Catholic organization that provides medical care for the poor, and they also provide training for local healthcare professionals. This is Practicing Catholic Medicine, a podcast dedicated to developing community, encouraging conversation, and discussing top-notch medical care that respects the dignity of all of our patients. I'm your host, Katie. I interview Catholics working in healthcare and invite them to share the challenges, joys, and all the in-betweens of being practicing Catholics, practicing medicine. Pull up a chair and join in the conversation. I'm thrilled to have you here. as usual before anything let's start off with prayer in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit jesus we thank you for the gift it is to pursue a career in healthcare, the opportunity to be your hands and feet to serve the sick and the needy we ask for a renewed strength for joy in our jobs and our homes i thank you for the ability to come back for another episode and i pray that this may speak to those it needs to amen Okay, well, it's been a hot second, hasn't it? Um, I thought that I'd share a little bit of a personal life update before we roll on through to the episode because a lot has happened. I was looking back and I can't believe it's been two years since I last posted an episode. (laughs) That's just such a long time. Um, I missed getting to post. I missed getting to interview. Um, it's It's been a busy two years and I'm just really grateful to be able to be back here. I'm really grateful to Dr. Jennings for taking the time to speak with me, and I can't wait for you all to hear this episode. Um, A little bit of some life updates here. I had another baby. He's pretty great. He's five months old now. My daughter thinks that he's just the coolest thing, Um, and he's just so giggly and smiley, which like nothing makes a day better than getting to see a little baby smile, so we are just really thankful and really blessed over here. some other changes. I switched jobs shortly after I posted the last episode. So for the last two years, I've now been working in outpatient pediatrics. Um, Some of you might remember that I used to work in inpatient pediatrics, which was a a huge blessing. Really loved it. Really enjoyed it. It was a hard move um, in the sense that I was grateful to be leaving a job that I loved to be able to go to another job that I also love. Uh, But I really am grateful for the time that I've been able to spend with my family, having more weekends with them, and just getting to develop relationships with my patients over time. Watching them grow has been a huge blessing. So really, really grateful for that. I've also been getting asked a lot if I still like being a PA, and the answer is a resounding yes. I think that Uh, It's such an incredible career choice. I am really grateful for where I'm at. I'm grateful for the flexibility the job offers. Uh, And obviously, I'm really biased, but I think that getting to serve the pediatric population just brings so much life and joy and happiness into my life. I was just telling my husband, like, part of my job is just getting to go and meet the names of the stuffed animals that kids bring in and helping them relax by listening to a little teddy bear's heart before we start our visit. And it really does just bring so much life into every day. So I'm I'm really grateful for my career. But enough about me. I'm really excited to introduce this episode to you. I spoke with Dr. Robin Jennings. Like I said, she's a family medicine physician and she's served abroad in many different places like Ghana, Honduras. She served in Tanzania as a student. She has such a unique perspective. I know we've talked about medical missions in the past on this podcast, but she has unique perspective in that she's served these missions with her family, with her husband, with her children. And I think that's it's just such a unique perspective. And I know we have a lot of listeners who are thinking about like, what if I did more than just a short-term mission? What if medical missions abroad actually was my career choice? What if this was 
something that I was going to do for not just a month or two, but years on end. And I love the perspective that she has to share. Dr. Jennings also has a really unique perspective in that she's a Catholic convert and she met and married her husband while in medical school and then had her first child in her intern year. And it's just such a great conversation because I think a lot of you might find yourselves in that position and just wondering like, is this feasible? How do we go about this? And so she talks a little bit about that. And I also just want to add, please keep her and her family in your prayers. They're abroad. They're actually in Honduras right now. They were supposed to go to Mexico, which if you'll hear during the episode, she's preparing to leave for Mexico after three years stateside. And so, um, you know, like anyone who's been on a mission of any length abroad knows, or even not abroad, even just serving somewhere local, you know, things change and things change quickly and they can change a lot. I remember when I was leading missions as a missionary myself, we would remind the students to be liquid, to just go with the flow. You never know what's going to happen. And so let's just keep her in our prayers, keep her family in our prayers as they go off and are are serving right now. We're so grateful for her and the work that she and her family are doing. And with that, let's jump right into the interview. All right. Well, thanks so much, um, Robin, for joining us. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about yourself first, if you don't mind talking a little bit about where you're from and what your background is, where you trained. Sure. Um, Well, I'm from Connecticut originally, and I grew up in a Christian home, but I was a Protestant growing up. So then in medical school, I met my husband, Brian, who grew up in a Catholic family. And um, we, started. uh, So I went, I guess, let me rewind here. So I grew up in Connecticut. Then I went to undergrad at, in Pennsylvania at a uh, school called Messiah College, which is a Christian school. And then after um, college, then I spent two years serving as a teacher in Bogota, Colombia. So that was my first time where I really did missions work. And I taught high school science. And that was really fun. And then I went to medical school at the University of Connecticut. And that's where Brian and I met, and he um, grew up in a Catholic family. So we, as we were dating, we talked a lot about faith because both of, for both of us, our faith was obviously an important aspect of our lives. So and something that we wanted to do together after we got married. So um, we got married at the end of medical school, and then we did residency in Colorado, in Greeley, Colorado, in family medicine. And then, um, but both of us knew that we wanted to do missions work afterwards, which is one of the reasons we picked family medicine and one of the reasons we went to that program because they had a good global health track and they did a good, or had a good advanced maternity care track, which is something we were interested in. So then after residency, Brian did a fellowship in global health in Kansas. So it was based out of Kansas, but then we spent five or six months in Honduras as part of that. And then um, after that, we signed on with Mission Doctors Association out of Los Angeles, and we did their formation program, which is a couple months of learning theology and Bible and cross-cultural stuff. And then they sent us off to Ghana as our first mission site, um, which didn't last real long because of COVID. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So then we were, when we came back to the U.S. in the middle of the pandemic, we realized that there weren't a lot of temporary jobs because no one was going to the doctor during COVID. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we ended up getting um, just permanent family medicine jobs out here in rural Oregon. So that's where we've been ever since. Oh, fantastic. Um, So did you convert to Catholicism while you were dating? Uh, After we got married, I guess I took it. I took RCIA the year we were engaged and then um, we got married in December, and then that Easter is when I joined the church. Yeah, if you're comfortable sharing, I'd love to hear, because often you hear it going the other way, where like the husband converts for the wife. And I'm just curious, what brought you to Catholicism? Like in those conversations with you and your husband, what made you um, choose choose that path? <laughs> well, we were both, I mean, we were both looking for truth, obviously, and both wanting to do the right thing. And so... Um, we kind of joke that we never, we dated, but we never really went out on dates because we were medical students. Yeah. So we were poor and we had a lot of studying to do. So we would, we just started kind of doing life together. We would study, we would go on runs and then we would debate theology. That was like 
our relationship for a year or two. Um, and so I would like pull out the Bible and have my arguments and he would pull out the catechism and have his arguments. And I mean, we talked, it was actually like a really good time of growth, I think for both of us. And, um, you know, I took him to the Bible study at the Baptist church and he took me to this Bible study at the Catholic church that where they did Lexio Divino. Have you done that before? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the, the Catholic group was just so welcoming and I don't know, we just felt like that was a really good place for us to be in a good group of friends for us to have. And, um, yeah, I think just gradually came to see, I just appreciate a lot of things about the Catholic faith, the rich history and the liturgy. And, um, it's kind of been a gradual process. I think I even had right before Easter, when I joined the church, I even still had some doubts, but, um, we were actually, it's kind of a long story, but we were doing a a rotation in Tanzania. And so I joined the church in Tanzania and Africa, which was awesome. But where we were staying, we didn't know at the time as medical students for that month, we were staying right next to this Catholic missions compound, just a God thing. And so when I was having my last minute doubts, like what about purgatory? Like what about praying to the saints, you know, all the things that are kind of big points. There was this Polish priest at this Catholic mission compound and Brian would just walk me over there and we'd sit down with Father Janusz and he would explain things and just his way of explaining things. And um, yeah, it all just really made sense. And so I think since then, I I was definitely uh, taking a leap of faith when I joined the church. And since then, I really enjoyed learning more of the theology and traditions of Catholicism and I've just grown to love it more. Wow. What a blessing. Um, yeah. Incredible. Did you, I asked this because I know first my friends who have converted to Catholicism, um, Mary was a big hang up for them. The, the attention given to Mary in the Catholic church, was that ever a problem for you or did you just, was that easy to accept? I think that was one of those things where I, believed enough of the Catholic theology that I was willing to just take that leap of faith and say, well, I don't know if I, you know, it's hard for me to be a hundred percent on board with everything, but I believe enough of this that I'm going to trust the church's authority in a lot of these areas. And then since then, um, it's been something that I've enjoyed learning more about. I think when we were first in residency, we had a priest at our church who was a really good teacher he would give these lectures in the evenings and I think I got more out of his lectures than I did out of RCIA that was and he gave some um, lectures on Mary and I felt like that was really helpful that's incredible and and probably how I would say how most Catholics feel like there are some things that we don't quite get or understand or agree with but we trust in the church's teaching and so it's like I I'll I'll get there it's not it's not a church problem it's a me problem so I I not necessarily a problem, but just something that we need to work through. So yeah, I like that. Yeah. I think sometimes it comes down to, you know, when the disciples at one point, Jesus says, are you going to abandon me? And he says, well, where else are we going to go? Because you have the words of eternal life. And so I, sometimes in my head, when I get these like panic moments about some sort of something, some bit of theology, I think, well, where else am I going to go? Like, calm down. This is where the truth is and just dive deeper into it. I love that. What a, what a beautiful explanation. Um, can you talk through a little bit about, I think you're the first um, provider that we've had who was um, dating and then married shortly after and then matched for residency together. I actually did similar. I was in PA school when I met my husband and got married while I was still in PA school. Um, and I'd love to hear how, what that was like for you and any advice that you might have for someone in a similar position trying to navigate dating and school. Yeah. yeah, Dating in school and then, um, matching together. And then I think even if this is a bit of a long question, but even like what marriage and residency looks like with that, that crazy schedule. Um, yeah, I guess we, well, it was interesting because I started med school as this single Protestant girl. And then I, (laughs) why the time by the time we graduated from medical school, I was married. I was Catholic. We were pregnant with our first. So 
I felt like a totally different person, different identity kind of when we jumped into residency. So that was a little bit, there was so much to get used to. It's like, now I'm, I have all these identity things that identify me that I didn't have before. And now I'm a wife, now I'm a mother, now I'm a doctor. And so um, it was kind of all that to adjust to all at once. But no, I think, I mean, in medical school, I think uh, we helped each other study. We helped each other relax. Um, so I, at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I could see that Brian was making me a better person and a better student and a better doctor. I mean, even now, I, I am so grateful that he is the same job as me because I'm one of these people that talks to um, process things. Yeah. So I can come home and say like, what would you have done in this situation? And like, he can be supportive as a husband, but then also as a doctor, he can, he's really smart and he can give me advice too. So um, yeah, I mean, for us, I think it works, at least for me, it works really well. I think maybe Brian wishes I didn't <laughs> ask his advice that off because he doesn't like to think about work outside of work. But for me, it's really nice. It's processing. I'm the same, but my husband works in finance. And so for him, for when I come home and process, he's like, okay, like I didn't need, I didn't need to know all those that (laughs) it's, it's a good, it's good balance. Um, I'd love to hear more about having, you had your first child. Was it your first year of residency or you're pregnant during your first year of residency? What was, yeah, we had her, we had her in the middle of intern year. Okay. What was that like? Well, it was hard. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but um, there were. I mean, we were. It probably wasn't how we would have planned it, but we were open to life. And um, honestly, Emily has been the biggest blessing to us. I mean, even now, she is just a really cool kid, and she is inspires me a lot to to in her faith. You know, I watch her. Um, she got her first communion this year, and. So it's just been so fun watching her kind of blossom. But then even as a baby, it was, uh, you know, I wish that I could have been around more, obviously. But then when I did come home from a long day of work, it was this bundle of joy that um, we got to come home to. And, you know, there were there were rough patches. I know if there was one block of residency where I was on nights and Ryan was on days mm-hmm. and we would bring Emily to sign out like because we only yeah. would see each other at sign out because they're 12 hour shifts yep. and so it's like okay here's the list of patients okay here's the baby and <laughs> so I wouldn't want to do that again but <laughs> we survived and by God's grace yep that's how I I, I was pregnant the year that I did a fellowship and I remember I had to tell people I was pregnant like at six weeks in this like brand new rotation that no one knew who I was, but I was like, I'm going to be throwing up a lot. I'm going to need you <laughs> to know that I'm not just leaving to leave. Um, yeah. So there's certainly challenges, but I totally agree with you. I just, we just had our second, like we had talked about um, over email and there is no greater joy than coming home to a smiling baby. I mean, it's work, but it's the, the best work in the best way. So <laughs> I, yep. Um, how long were you, so then after residency, you went right into, um, um, right into medical missions, right? Um, or- well, we, we did this fellowship. Okay. Technically I didn't do it, but they did some of the didactic stuff I was able to participate in. I was just done being a trainee. And so I yeah. went and worked some locum shifts at some rural ERs, um, that year while Brian was doing his, uh, global health fellowship and um so he that was kind of fun I think for him well maybe it wasn't fun at the time but he learned a lot of useful skills that we don't get as part of the core family medicine training that are useful overseas like pulling teeth and doing spinals for c-sections and stuff like that that's been really helpful yeah when we heard abroad how did you originally hear about, you're with the Mission Doctors Association, correct? Yeah. How did you originally hear about them and what do you, to their organization specifically? Well, we wanted to go with a Catholic group and they were the only group that we could find that was a Catholic mission group that was sending doctors overseas for long-term assignments. Mm-hmm. 
So that's how we ended up with them. And they've been great. Fantastic. And how long have you, were you in Ghana? You said that was cut short by COVID, right? Yeah. We were only there for three months. You're supposed to be there for three years. Oh, wow. Um, what was your experience like? Did you have your just one daughter at that time or did you have multiple kids in Ghana? No, we had two. So we had Emily at the beginning of residency and then we had Jack at the end of residency. Um, so they both came to Ghana with us and then I was pregnant with our third Sophia. Okay. What was, I'd be so curious, what, what was it like? I've, I've spoken to earlier on the podcast. Um, I spoke with Dr. Claire Ewing, who did, um, who served abroad as well, but as she was single, and I'm just curious, what was your experience like raising children, um, in Ghana? And I know it was only three months, but certainly that's still a good chunk of time. Was that, what were the kind of highs and lows or, and, and what surprised you the most about, about that? Yeah. Well, and we had both our kids too, when we were in Honduras, which is, oh, we were right. there even longer, but, um, for us, we see so many benefits of raising kids overseas. You know, a lot of people ask us, aren't you worried about your kids safety and stuff? And we say, well, we, you know, we try to be safe, but more than anything, we're thinking about their souls and, um, it's so good for them to be in, to see a, a different culture, um, see that there's people that live differently than they do, that look differently than they do, to be flexible. There's much more ability for your kids to serve alongside you in mission. I mean, we try to bring them here, you know, in the U.S., of course, you can bring them for volunteering stuff. But when we were in Ghana, we lived right on the hospital compound. And so we actually lived right near the labor and delivery uh, ward. So we would hear the women in labor. <laughs> and so my daughter, Emily would be like, oh, someone's having a baby again. And they'd be screaming and stuff. Um, but for, so one example is we had, Brian had a, a patient that uh, was burn victim, like burns all over her body. And she was a mentally handicapped woman, grown woman. And you know, in other countries, it's not like your, your family has to stay with you. They have to bring your bed sheets and clean your clothes and cook your meals for you in the hospital. The hospital just provides medical care and nothing else. And her family had kind of abandoned her because they're like, well, this woman isn't contributing anything to society. We don't want to keep paying for her medical care. We don't really care, you know, that she's here or, or suffering. So, um, we had our, we had like a housekeeper in, in Ghana. So we just had her make an extra meal, every meal. And then our kids, we let them walk down to the medical ward and deliver the food to this woman. And so for them, it was like, you know, you could never let, just send your kid into a hospital in the U.S. to visit. Right. But so that was really neat that they could do that. And um, they really kind of understood what what we were doing it wasn't just like oh you're going to work every day it was like they would know oh daddy's putting on scrubs and he's walking into the this building that means he's going to cut a baby out of somebody's belly and so um yeah they really kind of like we felt more like they were on our team a little bit when we were overseas I love that so much more of like a community aspect to that and involving the whole family that's fantastic Yep. What does your patient population and I'm look like? And I'm is it different as you in the different places you have served? Is it primarily those um who like in living in poverty, or is it just everyone that it, are you serving in places that are primarily with you know people who are suffering from poverty, or what does it look like? Yeah. Um yeah, when we were in Honduras, it was a little bit of everything, and they had uh system where based on your income, you would pay whatever you could afford. So some people could pay everything and some people got it for very little or free. Mm -hmm. And then in Ghana, um, similar, I think while we were there, we tried to help start like a, a pauper's fund for people that couldn't pay. But um, yeah, it was relative to the US. I mean, most people would be living on much less, you know, I guess, you know, it's hard because the standards of poverty are different there. So, 
um, you can survive on a few dollars a day in Ghana where you couldn't hear. So it's just different. But yeah, I think it was, I mean, definitely compared to the US, the people were at just a completely different um, level of means there. What drew you originally to being serving abroad? You had mentioned teaching in um, Bogota really um, sem- helped to cement that. Were you always drawn to this work abroad, serving abroad? Um, yeah, I'd be curious to hear. Yeah, um, I think similar. I listened to your interview with um, Dr. Claire, the one you mm-hmm. mentioned. So similar to her is I knew that I wanted to go abroad and help people, but I didn't know how. So in college, I uh, just talked to one of my mentors at one point and said, you know, I don't know what to major in, but I know I want to be a missionary. And so she said, well, look around. We were, we, we, she took our, we had, we did a language class in Mexico for a few weeks when I was a freshman in college. And this particular professor came with us and she said, well, now's a good chance. Look around. What do you notice about the community? Where do you, where would you like to give back? And there was a guy that lived next to my host family that had a broken leg and didn't have a way to pay for medical care. And so that kind of got me thinking about it. And, and so I said, well, maybe I'll take a chemistry class. And then it, I did fine in it. And I thought, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll try some pre-med classes and sort of gradually just did all the pre-med requirements. And then yeah, just, I don't know. It wasn't like I always knew I wanted to be a doctor. It was just like, well, this seems like it could be a good way to open doors to help people. And it certainly has. Oh, I love that so much. It's it's like, because a lot of times you hear people like, I knew I wanted to be a doctor and then the rest, like to figure out, you know, where that would be and what, what area that would be later. But you kind of had that on your heart first. So like the, the who you wanted to serve first before that desire um, to be a doctor kind of snuck in. So that's really beautiful. Um, how about what, um, how do you feel like you live out your Catholic faith in day to day or how does your Catholic faith inspire how you serve your patients? Um, well, I think just the way you treat them is something that my faith influences. I mean, you see value in every person and everyone's the dignity of all people. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, right now, a lot of our, the patients that I see are older. And so um, I'm the medical director at a nursing home out here in Oregon, just because no one else wanted to do it. <laughs> but um, I feel like that's a good example of like, these people lived like such full, vibrant lives. And now, you know, it's sad to see them with dementia and not thriving the way that they used to, but just trying to honor them and honor their lives and take the best care of them that I can, even though it's not real glamorous um, is, you know, one way I, I see how that's influenced things. And I mean, just in, as we're leaving our current jobs, we've just got a couple more weeks left it's been really humbling to have people come in, my patients as they come and see me for the last time. What a lot of people have said to me is that, thank you for being kind. Like you're a very kind doctor compared to other doctors that I've had. And so I felt good about that because I'm not the smartest or the most capable, but at least if I can um, make people feel like they're listened to and, and valued, then I think I've done a good job at the end of the day. At the same time, I think um, you do have to be a good doctor. I mean, I think having excellence, you probably, um, you know, know this too, like you have to be good at what you're doing. You can't, because just loving people or, you know, like being kind isn't enough. And so I know sometimes at the end of the day, I I'm just tired and I want to relax, but I try to make a point of, you know, every month to read the journal, my the American Family Practice Journal and um, keep up to date with stuff and read up to date and do, do a good job. I do evidence-based medicine too. So um, yeah, there's a, I should have brought it. There, do you know St. Gianna? 
Yes. You read about her. Okay. I have I have a relic of her actually, like a third class relic from piece of her clothes hanging up at my work on a little bulletin board right by my like my little workstation. Oh, cool. Yeah. I've got this quote of hers by um on my desk and it's I it's like four things, but one of them is like do a good job being a doctor, like treat people kindly, you know, as you as treat them as if you're serving Jesus. And yes, I love it. That's so true though, right? Like if we're if we're serving our patients, we should strive to be excellent in multiple ways, not just in how we love them, which is uh, beautiful, but also providing really good healthcare because we can, and because we should, we should, <laughs> because we're healthcare providers. That's a really good reminder. Um, what does like you, so you've been abroad in multiple countries now, and you said you're about to go off to Mexico, right? Is that yeah, next hopefully. Step? Um, what, how have those experiences changed your view on the American healthcare system? If, if they have, well, we do so much defensive medicine and in the U S and we're wasteful. I mean, similar again, I, I was just listening to your other talk with, uh, about global health. Mm -hmm. Um, and so simply a lot of the same things we're just, you know, overseas, there's not much that's disposable. We sterilize surgical gowns and then we reuse them. Um, nothing is like plastic instruments that you throw away. It's all stuff that you would use over again. And um, yeah, I think, I mean, it's in a way we can be not lazier here, but there's more tools. And so I guess maybe I can be lazier. I can just order the MRI and um, be right. done with it and send them to ortho where you're, it, you know, overseas, there's no MRI and there's no ortho. So you're the one who's creating the rehab plan for what you think is a meniscal tear based on your physical exam and just hope that that, that you know, <laughs> what you're doing is good enough. Yeah, yeah. What's, what do you find the most joy in, in being abroad? What, what, what keeps you going back? Well, I love learning. I love meeting people. I think one of my favorite parts about being a doctor and I guess just about being a human being is building relationships with people. And so it's really neat to, uh, just see that there's humans all over the world that you can connect with and that you can learn from. And it's just a simpler life overseas too, I guess. Um, I mean, apart from doing the medicine, which obviously you feel like you're meeting a need and serving others and you know, following God, God's call in that regard. But I think there's not all the, as much hustle and bustle of like taking your kids to t-ball and uh, run into the grocery store it's I don't know it's still different different pace of life and fun to get to know different kinds of people mm -hmm. what do, and then for us I, oh go ahead no no go ahead yeah well I was just gonna say I mean for us people always say well can't you serve God in your own country and yes you can uh, and a lot of people are called to that. And we just feel like there's such needs, all the places we've gone, there's such needs there that don't even compare to the U.S. And we love traveling. We, both of us kind of have an adventurous spirit. Um, and we feel like God's put this in our heart, given us the, the desire and the ability to go overseas. Mm -hmm. And so, um, for us, it's, you know, kind of a calling in a way too. Absolutely. Is there, um, so this is through a Catholic organization. Is there a faith aspect to it when you're serving abroad? Like, are there, um, is, is it like, do people know when they're coming to see you that they're coming to see a Catholic doctor with a Catholic organization? Um, and you had mentioned that you do some theology courses before you go. Um, I'd love if you could talk a little more about that too. What, what is the faith background of, of everything you do? Yeah. So mission doctor sends Catholic doctors to Catholic hospitals. So the group that we're serving with in Mexico, it's run by the sisters of St. Vincent de Paul. Mm -hmm. And um, 
so it's very clearly Catholic. I mean, there's nuns running around everywhere. <laughs> right. You can't, you can't really doubt that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and in Africa too, and when we were in Ghana, there was, it was a, the name of the hospital was on, on Fuega Catholic Hospital, I think. And um, there were, the staff there was not all Catholic, but many were Christian. And there was a chaplain there that uh, was very involved in things. So um, yeah, Mission Doctors wants to, does a good job of making sure that you're going to be in a place that supports your faith. And they do do the, this three or four month formation program before you leave, just at, so that you have tool kind of spiritual tools if you're feeling down or you know you just to help bolster your faith before you go because it can be challenging to be overseas absolutely um you had mentioned that you're that you deliver babies abroad and um you know dealing with meniscal tears all of that what is a day-to-day I'm sure it's different every day but what is a general day-to-day if you could even like think of an average day. What does that look like? So we're family practice. So we typically go to rural places, both in U.S. and abroad. And so a lot of the setup in these rural places in both in in many countries is similar, is that you're kind of doing a little bit of everything. So Honduras, um, which is where we were, Honduras and Ghana was pretty similar. You start your day off rounding on the inpatients in the hospital. And so for in Ghana, for example, there were, there was us two, and then there were some uh, Ghana, uh, doctors from Ghana who uh, had similar levels of training uh, as us. So they just kind of split things up. So Brian had the adult inpatient female ward. So, you know, the adults that would be older, the women that would get admitted with pneumonia or of CHF exacerbation or something like that. And then I, they gave me the NICU because um, we did a little NICU training in residency. So it, it was basic stuff like uh, and sepsis rule outs and Billy babies and preemies that needed to feeding tubes and stuff like that. But um, was most of it. There was some other stuff that was a little bit more challenging that we did our best. So yeah. Then we would do that. And then after we finished all our inpatient rounding, we would go to clinic and then people would just line up and you got to see whichever doctor whenever it was your turn. And so then we would see the clinic patients until we they were all gone for the day. And then usually one of us would be on call for the ER. So then you'd be on call for the rest of the day, ER and OB. So um, in Honduras, it was a more set call schedule I think in Ghana it was you know somebody would take the ER for the night but then whoever was around if they needed if the midwives needed help with deliveries would just jump in so that was fun were you ever you mentioned every now and then there'd be something where you'd like the the babies in the NICU would be a little more challenging or what did you do in moments where it's like this is something that I haven't seen before I don't know how do you wrestle with that uncertainty, especially when it's like, you're it, <laughs> this is, you know, you're, you're the one serving, you're the one making the calls. How do you navigate that? Well, you ask for help if you can. So if you know specialists or you have friends that specialize in other things, mm-hmm. call them. Um, my brother-in-law is a pediatric ICU doctor. So we've certainly called him before. <laughs> um, but then, uh, or like in the NICU, we had this NICU manual that we used in residency. So we'd read on that. I, you know, would read through that and, or read on up to date a lot, what to do. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a lot of it was like emailing people in the U S or phoning a friend. And um, yeah, sometimes you just have to be a little bit comfortable doing something that's a little outside what your typical scope of practice is, knowing that you're the only one there. I mean, you have to, it's still the same principles of do no harm, you know, Mm -hmm. that you would in the U S but like, if there's no one else that can do this for this patient and you're the best that they've had, you just do the best you can. Um, just with, you know, do whatever you can with a good conscience. conscience. I like that. Not, and and not getting too wrapped up in 
and anything else other than am I doing the best I can and not being too scrupulous about that if you're if if that's what you have that's what you have right and like just not I mean with family practice even now we ask for help a lot if I have a patient that you know I get some crazy lab result and I don't know what to do with it I get on the phone and I call our transferring or you know our referral center that's three hours away and I try to talk Mm -hmm. and get advice and so it's a lot of rural America and overseas medicine is very similar. <laughs> I was just thinking that because I, I mean, I started my career at a very large pediatric hospital where I could just, and I was inpatient and I could just order things at, at my leisure, you know, not obviously not unnecessary tests, but it's very easy to, to do and then to have to move and, and be now I'm outpatient, but I'm still in a big city and it's have a lot available to me. So family medicine, I feel like is the, yeah, you make, you make do with what you've got and see what you can do. Yep. Yep. Um, how about, um, you mentioned, I, I think kind of to talk about maybe a few more practicals too, for anyone interested in, um, in your, the organization that you're part of, what does childcare look like there? Like, how do you now, how do you arrange that? Overseas, you mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, in Ghana, we had the hospital provided us with uh, house help. And so we had Beatrice, who was amazing. She would just helped us with everything, knowing where to buy food and how to wash our clothes without a laundry machine. And she cooked for us. And then she watched our kids while we were working. And in Honduras, similar, our, my sister-in-law actually came with us to Honduras. She took a semester off from grad school and who's our nanny while we were there and in Mexico the plan is similar we'll probably find somebody that can just be a nanny for us somebody that the hospital recommends oh that's perfect and uh, also thinking more like practical side of things so it is mission work do you does do you have to fundraise for this position or is this something that the that you get paid through the organization Mission Doctors gives us a stipend to help um, cover, not just, I mean, it's enough to live very simply in the third world country. And then, uh, but they also will cover our travel expenses, you know, like our flights over there. And if there's visa stuff that has to get done and they pay for very good insurance for us, health insurance, and then evacuate insurance. And then the hospital, they have the hospital signed an agreement that they'll help with housing and feeding us. Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of how that looks. That's great. And do you, what advice would you have for anyone who's either like an undergrad or med school residency thinking about going into mission work abroad um, in healthcare? Um, yeah, I think just, I mean, stay the course. I think for us going overseas now, now that we've worked and lived in the U.S. for three years, is a lot more challenging than it was when we were just out of residency because it was just the next step. And so we, everyone was moving and we were, you know, we were packing our bags and going to, you know, mission doctors while all our other friends were packing their bags and going to other places. So, but now, I mean, we've, we've been here for three years and we consciously made the decision to leave and we don't have to. I mean, we, we have really good jobs. We live in a comfortable home. And so it's definitely been more of a sacrifice and definitely more of a like wrestling with faith and, you know, figuring out God's will this time around, because it's not just like the logical next step. It's a a conscious decision to make this sacrifice and so that being said for the with advice I think trying to live simply and uh not getting too comfortable in one place is a good thing to do and we really have tried to do that and we didn't buy a house when we came out here intentionally we're renting a home that's furnished so we didn't have to buy a lot of stuff and just always being willing to say no to things. I mean, we've been really tempted to buy just 
fun things that aren't bad but like like one example is a few times like should we buy a hot tub and we can yeah <laughs> which like seems like a silly example but at the end of the day we're like no we don't need a hot tub and that's just another thing that we're gonna have and we want to kind of live simply so that it's less of an abrupt transition when we move overseas so um yeah I think just kind of living simply living below your means not being tied down to stuff you know if we were like had bought a house and we're remodeling our house and had all the it would be a lot harder than just I mean right now we're just giving all of our stuff away except what fits in a couple suitcases in the road yeah I think one of the best I guess piece of advice that I got from a talk it was are you familiar with Helen Alvarez no I don't think so she's a Catholic lawyer and and speaker. And she, um, said always like live below your means so that you can make any kind of changes that you want in your life. And you're not tied down to your salary. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that's such good advice. And you're not tied down to things that are keeping you from being able to make the next step that God wants you to, to do. It's, there's not as much that you have to let go of if you haven't been holding tightly to material things the whole time. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, exactly what is your are your families are like on board with you guys going abroad has it been have you been met with support or have you been met with opposition with those close to you oh mostly support I think um I mean I told my parents when I was in high school that I wanted to be a missionary so they've mm-hmm. had a long time too <laughs> to process it. I love that <laughs> yeah when I was in um college my I was going on a trip somewhere and my mom bought me a big suitcase which I still use. And she said, this is my way of saying, like, I'm giving you to the Lord. Like, if you feel like he's calling you to go overseas, then here's my blessing. And here's a big suitcase. <laughs> so, um, I mean, obviously they miss their grandkids. I think they're, at least my talking to my family, I think they're uh, happier that we're going to Mexico this time rather than Africa, because it's a little closer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And Brian's parents have been really supportive this week they've been helping us scan in all of our diplomas and the stuff that we need to get our medical licenses in Mexico and stuff like that so yeah we're really grateful that we have really uh, loving supporting families I love that and kind of to wrap up too I was curious you've been working in Oregon for the past um, several years do you what what has been your experience have you run into any um, problems living your Catholic faith and practicing in a family practice setting? Uh, thankfully, we've always been in places that have been supportive of Catholic medical ethics. So, um, you know, that was another big thing in when we started residency because I was a brand new Catholic and then now I'm a brand new doctor. And so trying to figure out how to navigate birth control and all that stuff. So thankfully, where we did our residency, one of the doctors one of the attendings in residency was also a deacon in the Catholic church. And so he set a really wonderful precedent for us that we didn't have to do anything that we didn't feel comfortable with. And so that's both in residency and now here in Oregon, our partners are always happy to, I mean, they love putting in IUDs. So they're happy to do that for our, for patients of ours that, um, then we, you know, we provide, can provide the rest of their medical care, but then they know that we don't do birth control and everyone so far has been cool with that. Um, and in Oregon too, one of the things we asked about when we, when we moved out here is they do, it is legal to do physician assisted suicide, but there's only, I think one doctor in our practice that would be open to doing that and you need to so we really don't even run into that at all out here yeah but um yeah I think people are and 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 people are open to I mean like I've if patients talk about their faith with me I'll talk about faith with them and I'll pray with patients and I've never gotten any never been reprimanded for that but you know you sort of you you get a sense of Mm -hmm. I'm not pushing it on people, but I am certainly um, will open that door with patients who, for them, that's a major part of their 
physical and spiritual healing. I have a lot of listeners who are just like at the beginning of their careers um, or just graduating school. And I'm wondering what advice do you have for them? If, if you have any, when they're interviewing, did you like, for example, with this position, did you explicitly say during your interview, I don't prescribe birth control or was it like, I get the job and then I'm going to let you know after what, what does that look like? If, if that was even something that was discussed? No, we brought it up on interviews and because a lot of it, you know, we do OB. So we have to tell people, you know, we're, we're happy to take C-section call, but we're not going to tie people's tubes and mm-hmm. we're not going to give depot when they leave the hospital. Mm-hmm. And um, people generally are okay with that, you know, because a lot of times, you know, we're rural family practice. So whenever there's a C-section, there's always two of us that scrub. And so okay. if a patient wants their tubes tied, we just, um, we find a doctor to assist that is comfortable doing that. And I mean, again, a lot of these things are like procedures or things that the other doctors in the practice actually enjoy. So Mm -hmm. for them, it's like, oh, well, sure. I'd be happy to like take your, take on the patients that just come and see every three months for birth control. (laughs) Cause for them, that's like something they like, I don't know. So yeah, it was not an issue at all. We were just upfront with people and everyone has been there, even the places that we didn't take jobs, we brought, would bring it up in the interviews and no one ever balked at it. Oh, that's so great. And, and there's so much more to family practice than just birth control. So I'm sure you're able, you know, you're, you're stepping up in other areas to help the practice as well. And they're grateful for your help there too, I'm sure. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, well, thank you so much. I wanted to see before we kind of wrap up, is there anything else that you wanted to share or feel like people should know about, um, ab- about medical missions, um, beyond that? Like, um, I guess one, one question in particular would be, um, would you recommend someone try out like a short-term mission before they decide to go long-term or just jump in? I think, yeah, I mean, it's probably prudent to if you've never done anything like this before, at least just to do a trip to check it out. Um, we, and we had done a lot of short-term trips in our training. Some are better done than others. I think, you know, again, I want to echo what Dr. Claire said on when you interviewed her just about how you want to do something that's got long-term that's sustainable. You don't want to, these brigades where you go into the jungle and hand out Tylenol can often do more harm than good. Yeah. Um, um, so, but, you know, find a medical missionary and go spend a month with them. And even if you don't feel the pressure, if you do these short-term trips, I think, or long-term too, but you, especially with short-term, sometimes you feel this pressure, like I have to go and I have to do something, but you can just go and learn and see what it's all about and know if that's something that you want to do. I think that can be helpful. We went to and visited the site in Mexico in November, just to kind of get a feel for it and meet the people there and see if we would be a good fit. And, um, you know, but we didn't do any medicine while we were there, but that was okay. And um, I think too, medical missions looks different depending on what you practice. So, you know, we're family practice. So we're kind of there for the long-term, do a little bit of everything, bread and butter stuff. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the places where we've served will have surgical teams come in. So if you're a urologist, maybe the best thing for, I mean, if you're in a big city um, in Africa, obviously they're going to use you. You could move there in a heartbeat. But if you um, are open to doing short-term stuff in Honduras, we would have a lot of specialty teams where we would just keep a list of like everyone that needed a hysterectomy. And then the gynecologists, the GYN surgeons would come for two weeks and take out uteruses for us. And it was great. And same thing. We had urology, we had ENT, we had ophthalmology, mm-hmm. number of surgical specialties. Um, so, I mean, it, no matter, I think just being open to it, no matter what type of medicine or what setting you're in, there's a place where you could serve. Mm, I, I love that. I think that kind of just sums up all of healthcare, right? And like following God's plan is there's, there's going to be a place for you to serve, like where you're going to yeah. be, be great. So thank you. That's great advice. Thank you so much. Um, my last two questions I always like to ask. The first one is how have you felt Jesus loving you lately? Like how's he been moving in your life? 
Well, I think, um, you know, whenever you leave a place, because we're moving in, in two weeks, mm-hmm. you, people always come and like shower you with kindness. So <laughs> I, you know, just hearing a lot of kind words from people as we're leaving has been really wonderful. And um, I don't know, just I get emotional really easily. So even just giving stuff away or saying goodbye to people, I get sad and, but just, um, I don't know. I just, just feel like through my kids that God has really been comforting me. Cause I mean, I, I only work part-time. And so a lot of the time it's me and my kids at home and while my husband's at work. And so as I've been like organizing stuff to give away, you know, again, my oldest daughter, Emily, who is just a really awesome kid. I think I'm, I'm biased. I'm her mom, but she was like, oh, I'm going to give this away. And she's like going through all her stuff. And it's like, for her, so I was just like, okay, if she can do it, I can do it. So just sort of um, like feeling God's comfort as I'm trying to, as we're going through this transition, I think just like feeling a lot of kindness and and just um, let going, letting go of things, material things of this world has been good. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. And you will be in my prayers and I'll ask all of my, the listeners of this podcast to keep you in um, their prayers too, as you, as you move. Cause that is, that's a lot, but so beautiful, but I could see it. I mean, that I, every time I move, I think I'm never doing this again. And then, and then I had a daughter and I'm like, I'm really never doing this again, moving with a kid. And, and that we just moved across town. Like you're moving to rural Mexico. So you are a thousand percent in my prayers. I hope that that all goes really well. Well, thank you. Yeah. And then my last question that I always like to ask um, is, are, what book are you reading? If you're reading any books, you certainly could be off the hook if you're not. You've, been, <laughs> you've got a little bit going on. Uh, well, I just finished the book last night. I'm in this book club with other moms. And mm. so we're reading Joe's Boys by Mar- Louise May Alcott. But um, I just got my next book on my bookshelf is Oh, Pioneers by Willa Cather. I really like Willa Cather. I don't know if you've read any. No, stuff. I haven't. Tell me more. Yeah. So probably my favorite book is um, Death Comes for the Archbishop. Willa Cather is not a Catholic, but she's, I looked it up. I can't remember. She's some other Christian denomination, mm-hmm. but Death Comes for the Archbishop is just this really lovely story about these two mission priests that are in uh, the southwestern U.S. and Mexico territory. So I read that earlier this year, and it was it was just a neat book because they actually stay they they maintain their integrity to the end, and they go on these adventures and just spreading the gospel. And yeah, I thought if you need a good if you're looking for a good read, that one's good. So I'm reading. I grabbed another one of her books to try to finish, so I can return it to the library before we move. Because why not? (laughs) Oh my goodness. I love that so much. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it, Robin. I'm so grateful that you said yes to an interview and thank you for taking time out of your really busy two weeks here left in Oregon. I'm just really grateful. Well, thanks. Yeah. And thanks for your prayers. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for your podcast. This has been good. Again, thank you so much to Dr. Jennings for taking the time to talk with me and to share her share her background, share her story with all of us. You can see everything we talked about, including Robin's blog and the books that we referenced in the show notes and on our website, practicingcatholicmedicine.com. I'll also post the Mission Doctors Association website where you can go to learn more, and I encourage you to prayerfully consider donating as well if you're able. I also have just a few more notes. I'm seeking out new guests. So if you have anyone you'd like to nominate, including yourself, please go to the website, practicingcatholicmedicine.com and click on the nomination tab. I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear from a wide range of professions in healthcare. You can also follow us on Practicing Catholic Medicine's Instagram handle, which is just at Practicing Catholic Medicine. I would also love it if you continue to share the podcast with your friends, with those who you think might like it, with your local Catholic Medical Association chapters, etc. Um, if this podcast has been good for you. Um, and then as always, I love reviews on iTunes. They help people find my podcast and I really appreciate it. And then last, 
As usual, the views expressed by my guests um, and myself on the podcast are not necessarily those of our employers, and this podcast is not meant to replace medical advice from a licensed provider. Please see your healthcare provider for any medical concerns. We ask our patron saint, St. Gianna, pray for us, and then I just wish all of you a really, really blessed day. And please know that you're in my prayers. Please keep me in your prayers. I'm so grateful that you've stuck around, that you've listened to the podcast. And I'm just so glad to be back. I know I've said that a thousand times, but it just, I'm so glad to be back. I'm so glad for this time with you all. I can't wait to hear from you. And I hope you have a really, really great rest of the year. I know we're winding up already, but I'm refusing to acknowledge that uh, it's not going to be summer here in a few weeks. So take care, everyone. Bye.